If you remain standing, now we will uh, read together these words from the Gospel of Matthew, uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Will you read these words with me? You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. I am starving. I know. I'm trying to order food. There's no Wi-Fi. What are we supposed to do? Wander around the neighborhood and find something? Oh, and you know what food they're going to have in this neighborhood? It's going to be Turkish food and tapas. Oh, kill me. Why is this happening to us? Shh. Sh- sh- Wouldn't you shush yourself? Yeah, shush is for horses. Yeah, eyes on the stage, please. Show's up there. Rude. A moment of silence for the deceased, please. Does anybody have any difficult people in their lives? This is, um, we are in the third week of our uh, sermon series on relationships. Every February we do a relationship series, and, and the first couple of weeks we, we spend time talking about how to love those people who love us. And Jesus says, you know, in terms of relationships, that's kind of the easier thing to talk about, right? The people who, who love us, who want to be in relationship with us, who, who, who want to abide by, you know, the way we say, but, but how to be in relationship with people who maybe are more difficult is, is harder, but but is also more life-giving. And so uh, this morning, we're going to talk about that, how to be in relationship, how to love difficult people. If you have your sermon notes, they're in your bulletin, and, and hopefully you'll be able to write some things down as God speaks to you and take this home and pray over this. And I, I think this is really important for all of us to know how to love difficult people. Uh, this sermon series, our relationship boot camp, is really based on this passage from 1 John. Uh, the writer says, Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. Since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. And, and uh, the writer of 1 John knows that Christians were defined as people who loved, that the early church were known by, by the love that they had for one another. Uh, because the way that we love is not like the rest of the world. We do not just muster up all the strength that we can on our own will. We don't just grit our teeth and clench our fists and just love people as much as we can. Uh, Christians are known by people who love with this almost supernatural ability given by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we understand that God loved us. And, And since God loves us, we now have this greater ability to love one another. Love one another. This is how Christians are defined. But, but how do we do this? And not only with people who love us, but even those people who don't. And we read this passage in, in Matthew chapter 5, and Jesus says we should love our enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's how we come to a problem. We really don't know how to appropriately love our enemies. You know, we hear this passage, love our enemies, and we think, well, maybe we're supposed to love our enemies the same way we love our spouse. Well, I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. He says, maybe we should love our enemies the same way we love, you know, our our confidants, our our best friends. I don't think that's what Jesus was saying at all. You know, we have to really understand what Jesus was talking about. That the original hearers of the Sermon on the Mount, when they heard Jesus say, love your enemies, they heard that word enemy, and, and they immediately thought of this, Roman soldiers. They lived in the ancient Near East that was currently occupied by Rome, and, 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 and you know these Roman soldiers could do whatever they wanted because 
their, their army was currently occupying this town, this country, this place. And so when they thought of enemies, they literally thought of people who were right down the street, people who were listening in on the conversation, people who were at every corner enforcing their will upon everyone else. You know, but our enemies don't look like this today. You know, even, even though, you know, our country may be in wars, those wars are kind of far removed from our everyday life. You know, we don't see people just walking down the street that we would define as our enemies, that, that truth be told, our enemies don't look like this today. Maybe they look a little bit more like this. See, this is what concerns me, Nick. You're a punctual guy. You know the importance of being here right at 6 a.m., which is what leads me to think that there must be something wrong with the internal clock on our security system. May have been a minute late. Well, no, but according to this, you were two minutes late. So either you're a liar or this system is off by a full minute. And if that's the case, then I'm going to have to fire Thomas, our longtime security coordinator. May have been two minutes late. Oh, well, then you were lying. No, I... Who are you calling? Thomas, I yeah. got to let him go. No, I, I was lying. Sorry. You were lying. Yeah, I didn't mean to. It was more of a saying, you know. Might have been a minute late. Literally, uh, truthfully, was... So maybe our, our enemies, look at the people that we work with, you know, those difficult people in our lives, maybe our supervisors, maybe our coworkers, maybe somebody who works for us, you know, are, are those difficult people in our lives might be those people we work with. Um, truth be told, difficult people in our lives also might look like this. You know, we were once in relationship and now we are not. Maybe, um, you know, maybe an ex-wife or an ex-husband, maybe just an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend or, or somebody that we used to be in relationship with, but now we are no longer. And, and that loving relationship has now kind of turned vitriolic. That, that loving relationship has now kind of turned into hatred. And the only way that we can talk to each other, you know, at best is, is through a mediator, but at worst is, you know, kind of through a friend and this kind of triangulation. And, and even worse than that, maybe even through our children. And, and we try to, you know, pit the other against one another. And, and those difficult people in our lives look differently today. Maybe it looks a little bit like this, or maybe, just maybe, if we were being really honest, those difficult people in our lives look like this, you know? Um, there's, a, there's a website called Reasons My Children Are, Are Crying, and, and this one says, he doesn't want the banana he wasn't offered, you know? Anybody ever been stuck in that, like, flawed logic for about an hour in, in your house? Uh, um, and, uh, or maybe difficult people look like this. Um, he, he can't find his red ball to play with, you know? It's a uh, it's a tough life being a two and three year old. And, um, and, and we all have different kinds of difficult people in our lives, but how do we live in relationship with those people? Jesus tells us to love our enemies um, and pray for those who persecute you. How, how do we do that? Well, the, the Bible actually in the book of Proverbs defines kind of three different categories of people. There are wise people, foolish people, and evil people. Um, and how do we live in relationship with all three of those people? And, and how does that give life and actually honor God? And here's something we have to understand. These categories are not static. These are not, this person is always evil, this person is always foolish, and this person is always wise. Um, Truth be told, we all oscillate uh, between being wise, foolish, and evil. We all oscillate between these three categories. And so as we talk about this, how to live in a relationship with people, this is not a conversation about them right? This is not a conversation um, about the person next to you. This is a conversation about us, right? And so we're going to practice something, just a little audience participation. I want you to just raise your right hand for me, if you can. Go ahead and raise your right hand. It's okay. We can do this together. I know it's embarrassing. All right, raise your right hand, and we're going to say, I have been a wise person. I have been a wise person. Feels pretty good, right? Yeah, you know, I've been a wise person, but, but you know, it gets worse than that, right? I have been a foolish person. 
I have been a foolish person. doesn't feel as good, um, but it's true. We, we, we have been a foolish person. That worse, uh, I have been an evil person. I have been an evil person. Well done. You did it. You passed. Good job, church. Um, we've, been, we've all done this, right? We have been wise. Um, we have heard truth, and, and we have abided by that, and we have been wise people. Um, we've also been foolish. We, we've done things, that, you know, maybe out of ignorance that we shouldn't have done. We've also been evil. Um, we've, we've been hurt, and so we've tried to hurt somebody else. You know, something harmful was said to us, and so we tried to respond um, with that same kind of hurt, and, and it didn't work out well. And, and, and we've all been all through those categories. And so as we talk about this, this is not a conversation about them. It's a conversation about us, right? So we're going to talk about how to live in relationship with these people, um, and we're going to start with the easiest one, how to live in relationship with a wise person. A wise person. We know a wise person because they adjust themselves to the truth. A wise person adjusts themselves to the truth. Uh, maybe you've worked with somebody like this, and, and you've had kind of those, those behavioral meetings or those kind of critical conversations, and you, and you said, hey, you know, this is what happened. There was a situation where, where you did this, and it didn't, you know, didn't turn out well. We actually need you to do this next time. And, and what we see is that person actually adjusts themselves, right, and maybe even very quickly. And, and, and that's a wise person because they've, they've heard truth and then, then adjusted themselves to match that truth. They've changed their behavior so that they can become wise, so that they can match that truth. We read about it in the, in the book of Proverbs. We might understand Proverbs as kind of Christian fortune cookies, right? It's these kind of quippy sayings, but they're all about wisdom and, and how to live within that. Now we read about um, wise people adjusting themselves to the truth in Proverbs 15. Uh, Whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. People who are, who are wise will not fear criticism. Um, they will not fear correction because they know it's an opportunity to adjust themselves to the truth. It's an opportunity to take what they are doing and line it up with something that is good and right. And whoever heeds life-giving correction will be at home among the wise. Um, well, how do we love these people? How do we live in relationship with people who are wise? Well, it's pretty simple. We want to stay close to them, right? If, if you know a wise person, if you are around a wise person, the, the hope is that that wisdom would rub off on you, right? Like, I, I want to get close to this wise person. I want to know more about you, and I, I want to learn why you are wise and how you are wise so that I myself can become wise. Again, we read about it in Proverbs, walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise so that you become wise. We are like the people we are around. We are like the people we are around. If you didn't know that from you know, elementary school and grade school, it's still true today. We are like the people we are around. And, and so if we are around wise people, we ourselves will become wise. And, and, and if you haven't been wise in a while, maybe you need to re-up that relationship with that wise person. Have some critical conversations. Say, hey, I did this and, and it didn't go well. How, how can I do it better? We can have those established relationships, those, those establish those, you know, once a week coffees or, or once a month, you know, lunches and say, I, I really need that to rub off. I need to know more about you and, and how you can do this. Stay close to wise people so that we can become wise. This is, this is good and right for us. And so that's how to live in a relationship with wise people. But what about people who aren't always wise all the time? We might consider them foolish people. And, and we know foolish people because they adjust the truth to fit them, right? So, so a wise person adjusts themselves to fit the truth. That's the truth. I need to line myself up with it. A foolish person will adjust the truth, will adjust what is happening out there to fit what they are already doing, to fit what they are already doing. It looks like this. Tools um, include defensiveness, refusal, and externalization. 
No, you know, that wasn't me. No, that's, that's not true. And, and, and even if it was true, it wasn't my fault. You know, it was all these other things that are going on around me. You know, the thing that gets me is, you know, you go to a meeting and you say, why were you late? And they say, traffic. Um, as if everyone else was helicoptered in. You know, it's like, like how, how, how is this? It wasn't me. You know, it was all these other people. I don't need to change. All these other people need to change, right? I, I, I don't need to do that. It was all these external factors that were happening to me, that were happening around me. A foolish person will adjust the truth in order to fit them. I give a read about this in the book of Proverbs. Don't respond to the stupidity of a fool. You'll only look foolish yourself. And so as we learn how to live in relationship with foolish people, we won't deal with foolish logic, right? It's already flawed. It's already incorrect. So we're not going to deal with logic of fools. What we are going to do in order to love people who are foolish, in order to live in right relationship with people who are foolish, first of all, we're going to pray for them. Jesus said, pray for those who persecute you, so we're going to do it. You know, we're going to do it, and, and, and we're not going to do it in this kind of passive-aggressive way, you know, oh, make them, you know, be nicer to me. Pray for their heart that God would soften it, that they would actually receive the criticism, that they would actually receive the truth and, and adjust their lives to it. So first of all, we're going to pray for them, but then something else we're going to do is we're going to start to set boundaries, boundaries, right? This is, this is kind of difficult, maybe, you know, kind of an uncomfortable conversation. We're going to set boundaries in order to live in a relationship with them, and then along with boundaries, we're also going to set consequences, Here's the line, here's the expectation, and if you don't meet that, this is what's going to happen. If, if boundaries are difficult to talk about, consequences are even more difficult, right? This is, this is tough. So we need to talk about boundaries, what they are and what they are not, okay? And, and here's what they are not. Nagging and passive aggression are not boundaries, amen? Um, don't nudge the person next to you. Nagging and passive aggression are, are not boundaries. If you are complaining about the laundry in the middle of the floor while you are picking it up and putting it in the laundry hamper, nothing is going to change. Okay? Is that, is that clear enough? Um, the, the nagging is, is, not, is not a boundary. It's just nagging. It's just complaining while you are already fixing the problem right? And, and neither is passive aggression. Well, she should have known that I was mad. I stomped around the house. I slammed every door and I breathed heavily out of my nose and gave short answers to every question that she asked. That's not a boundary. That's just you being a jerk. You know, like that's not, that's not a boundary. That's not a boundary. That, that's passive aggression. That's not helpful. A boundary, boundaries draw the line between acceptable and unacceptable behavior in order to stay in relationship with me boundaries, draw the line, this is acceptable and this is unacceptable so that we can live in relationship, right? This is, if they say, you know, like, I don't want to be in a relationship with you, there's not a lot you can do about that other than to say, okay, we're not going to be in a relationship, right? But if, if we're going to stay in relationship, this is the line between acceptable and unacceptable behavior, right? That, this, is, this is what it looks like. This idea comes from the book um, called Boundaries um, by Henry Cloud and John Townsend. Um, second to the Bible, this is the book that I've recommended the most. Um, I believe it applies to, to all of our lives. And if you haven't read it, I would strongly recommend uh, that you go on Amazon now and order it so that it you know, meets you at the house uh, before you get home this afternoon. Uh, I think Amazon can do that now. Um, this, is, this, is, this is a great book. Um, you know, we, we need to set boundaries in order to establish acceptable and unacceptable behavior in order to live in a right relationship with us. Um, what does that look like? Well, um, earlier this week on Wednesday, uh, my wife is, Melissa is well now, but on Wednesday she was diagnosed with the flu. Um, you know, as, as many people are, are, you know, it's kind of going around now. 
And so I got a text message, um, you know, went to urgent care, uh, have flu A, you know, and it was okay. So, so now Melissa and I have a very serious conversation about boundaries, right? What is acceptable and unacceptable behavior in order to be, for us to be in a relationship with each other? Because um, we have a five-year-old daughter and an almost three-year-old son. And so now, you know, Melissa has a very clear boundary, right? The bedroom, like that's you now. This is where you are uh, for the next few days. And I'll, you know, like shove your food under the door. And, you know, like you, you, are, you are over there. These are the boundaries so that we can be in right relationship and I can care for the children who hopefully won't get the flu. You know, they haven't got the flu. That, that, that's good news because we set appropriate boundaries. We know this. We know to set these when people are sick most of the time, right? We know to do this. But when it comes to like emotional health, for somehow we, we kind of forget it. it leaves our mind, and, and we don't think about establishing these kind of boundaries when it comes to, to this kind of health, when it comes to emotional health. But it is so important. It is so important, not only for people who are foolish in our lives, but also for people who, who are evil in our lives. Now, remember, we've lived in all three of these categories. We have been here. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about how love is to will the good for someone. Love is to will the good for someone, regardless of you know, how it affects you, to will uh, the good for someone else. Evil, of course, is the exact opposite. Evil is to will the bad for to someone else, you know, and, and again, we have lived here and we have seen this happen. We have been hurt and wanted to hurt somebody else, um, you know, and, and, and at, at our worst moments, we've done this. Uh, tools for evil people include um, abuse, seeking to inflict physical and or emotional harm. Say it very clearly, if you are in a home situation with somebody who seeks to do you physical harm, you need to leave the house. Um, if you are afraid for your safety, you need to call the police. You are not meant to be in a relationship in the same building with that person at this time. You need to leave. And, and we need to set very clear boundaries. And that's how we live in relationship with these people, right? People who are evil, uh, just even more. Even more prayer. Um, people who are evil, we need to pray for them even more. And we need to set even more and clearer boundaries and consequences. Um, that for some of us, loving evil people um, includes uh, calling the police and includes moving out of the house, uh, includes only talking through a lawyer or through a mediator. Loving people who are evil, who seek to do us harm, uh, looks like setting very clear boundaries and consequences. This is so important for us. This is vital in order to stay in relationship with, with people. And Jesus modeled this in his life. Jesus modeled this in, um, throughout the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, and all three of them, they include a story of Jesus encountering a man that we call the rich young ruler. Um, this man comes to Jesus and, and he says, Jesus, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I've heard about you. I've heard legend of you. I've heard that you talk about the kingdom of God. I heard that you talk about the kingdom of God and, and, and I want to inherit that. I, how do I enter eternal life? And Jesus looks at him, he says, you know, you're a rich young ruler, you're a good Jewish person, you know, do the commandments, do, do the things that you're already doing, you know, just, just keep on keeping on, in other words. And, and, and the rich young ruler says, you know, I've, I've done that. I, I've done all of that. What still do I lack? Jesus said, fine, if you really want to know, if you wish to be perfect, go sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Sell your possessions, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. This is how you do it. And the rich younger went away grieving, for he had many possessions. Now look what happened there. This man comes to Jesus and said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and, and Jesus says, kind of like, you really don't want to know. He says, no, 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 I, I really want to know. He says, fine, this is the boundary. Here it is. This is the line. Sell everything you have, give all that money to the poor, and then come follow me. 
This is the boundary. And when the rich young ruler hears about it, he turns away and walks away grieving. And notice what Jesus did not do, right? This, this man turns away, wanting to inherit eternal life. Here's the boundary. Here's the expectations and leaves. Jesus does not chase after him and say, oh, well, you, you didn't like that boundary. Here, here's another boundary, you know, like just keep everything you have. Just, just keep living the same way you're living. And then, you know, just kind of add my teaching on top of it and follow me whenever you feel like it and do those things. Jesus doesn't change the boundary to meet the other guy's expectations, right? Jesus kept the boundary, and the man chose not to be in a relationship with Jesus, and Jesus allowed that to happen. There are so many times in our life, there are so many times where our desire to be liked, our desire for approval will cause us to set a boundary, and when the other person doesn't like it, we will just immediately abandon it, right? Oh, well, you didn't like that boundary? I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, here's, here's an easier boundary. Here's, here's a lower hurdle for you to jump over, um, and, and it doesn't really honor me. Um, it's really just easier for you, and, and, and it doesn't really you know, apply to my self-worth, but, but maybe you'll like it a little bit better. Jesus establishes the boundary and says, this is it. Now it's your, your choice. Do you want to be in a relationship with me or not? This is the boundary. This is what honors me. This is what allows me to be me and you to be you. Here's the boundary. Do you want to be in a relationship? And let the other person make the decision. Sometimes in our life, loving people means letting them walk away. Sometimes in our lives, as hard as it is, as difficult as it is, loving people means letting them walk away. If they don't want to meet that boundary, if they don't want to meet that expectation, if they don't want to honor that, we can't be in relationship. And that's their decision. But we have to establish it clearly. Because here's the truth. What you allow is what will continue. You say, you know, I I really don't like the way they're treating me. I don't like the way this is happening. I don't like this relationship. Maybe it's because we allow it to happen. And, and, and if, if we're going to keep allowing that to happen, it's going to keep happening. We have to make a change. We have to do something different. We have to set a clear boundary, set clear consequences, soak it all in prayer, and only then is something going to change. And this is true in all of our relationships with wise people, with foolish people, and even with evil people. Drastically, drastically important. Probably the most um, well-known study on evil as it pertains to people um, was conducted um, by this man. Uh, This is Philip Zimbardo. He was a um, Stanford University professor um, in the 1970s, and he conducted uh, what has come to be known as the Stanford Prison Study. Maybe maybe you've heard of this. Um, Philip Zimbardo gathered um, several young college men, and, and he gave them all IQ tests. And, uh, and he took them in, and he split them right down the middle, half and half, and, and um, half of them um, he made guards, and half of them he made um, prisoners in a simulated um, prison, um, built a small building that, that would simulate um, the uh, confines of a prison, and, and he made half of them guards and half of them prisoners. He wanted to see if those who were given uh, the designation as guard, if they would abuse their power, even if the designation of guard was seemingly arbitrary, that there was no clear difference in, in IQ or anything else between the people who were guards and the people who were prisoners. And during this study, he established himself as warden of the prison. In a simulated kind of made-up prison, he established these people as guards and these people as prisoners and established himself as warden. And he wanted to see if these guards would start to abuse their power. And what he found was that in just a few days, these guards were drastically abusing their power drastically, that, that in a very short amount of time, the guards took away the prisoners' beds in order to establish dominance over the prisoners. They took away their beds that they had to sleep on the hard floor. Uh, shortly after that, the guards forced the prisoners to scrub the toilets with their bare hands. 
and scrub the swords with their bare hands. And then, almost immediately after that, the guards started to take away the prisoners' clothing so that they were naked almost 100% of the time. All of this to establish dominance over these prisoners in a simulated prison study. And this all happened while Philip Zimbardo was the warden. He was the professor. He was the authority in the time. But he was letting all of this happen right under his nose. And, and it got so bad that there were five young men who were prisoners that had to be sent home due to psychological damage. Sent home due to psychological damage. And what happened was they had five alternates that they brought in to replace the five prisoners. And, and, and so this was all happening. This, this evil was taking place right under Philip's nose. This happened for six days. Six days until finally someone spoke up. Finally, someone set a boundary. Her name was Christina Maslach. And Christina was another uh, student of Philip's, and, and, and she saw what was happening. She saw this, and, and she confronted Philip with it, and she says, this has to stop. This has to stop. It is terrible what you're doing to these young men. It has to stop. You, you have to stop this, or I will report it for you and stop it myself. Christina set a boundary and a clear consequence. She said, look, this is evil. This is bad. It's happening right under your nose, and you have to stop it. And if you don't stop it, I will stop it for you. Philip talks about the conviction that he felt in that moment as this young girl was confronting him, was pointing out the evil that was happening right under his nose. The conviction that he felt was so great that he immediately stopped the program. He immediately sent the young men home. And then a year later, he married Christina. The question is, is there hope for foolish or evil persons? The answer is yes, absolutely. But it only happens if we set clear boundaries and clear expectations and clear consequences. If we pray for those people, the only hope that these people has is if we set clear boundaries and expectations. That is the only way that it can happen. Do, is there any hope for people who are foolish or evil? Is, are there any, is there any hope for people in our lives that are doing foolish or evil things? And the answer is absolutely yes, because we believe in the life-changing power of Jesus Christ. Absolutely, yes. And only if we stop allowing it to happen in our lives, only if we set boundaries and consequences in our life, only if we pray for these people, even more so again and again, that God would transform their hearts, that God would break their hearts of stone. Is there any hope for these people who are foolish and evil in our lives? The answer is absolutely yes. Because of Jesus Christ. And so my hope, my prayer for us this week and for the rest of our lives is that we will pray for our enemies. Pray for them at our homes, at our work, at our PTAs, at our um, homeowner associations, wherever it is, that we would pray for those people that are difficult, those people that are foolish, those people that are evil, that we would pray for them and that we would set clear boundaries and consequences in order to love better. In all of our relationships, not just people who are foolish and evil, in all of our relationships, that we would set clear boundaries and consequences. Because Christians are defined as people who love. Christians are defined as people who love, and not just with their own ability, but with the supernatural ability of the Holy Spirit. Because of Christ and us, can we actually love other people? And the only way we can do that, the only way we can do that, is by setting these boundaries and expectations, these consequences in our lives, so that we can love better. Let us pray. God, I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit upon us. God, that you would make us new in these moments. God, I pray for those people in our lives 
Those people that are maybe more difficult, those people that we might consider enemies, those people that are foolish, those people that are evil in our lives, God, I pray that you would bless them, that your love would wash over them, God, that that they would become overwhelmed with your grace towards them. And God, that you would bless us, that you would give us courage to set boundaries in our lives, that you would give us courage to have those difficult conversations that we need to have in order to honor ourselves, in order to give life, in order to love your world, your people better. God, give us courage in those conversations. Let us know even now how to speak and what to say and what would truly honor you and give life to us. And God, we pray for your world. We pray for those who don't don't yet know you, that they would find you. God, we pray for this by the power of the Holy Spirit in the mighty name of Jesus Christ, who came and lived and taught us even how to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.